I honestly believe that one of the biggest things leaders can do is to lead by example uh, and to be vulnerable. I think a lot of leaders are very fearful of social media. Um, we often get the objection, I, I just don't have time. And I get that, right? Leaders are busy. Um, but I also think there's a fear factor there. You are accessible. It's transparent. Uh, anybody commenting on your posts is for everyone to see. And there is fear in that, I think. You know, people, did they worry that they're going to get, um, you know, attacked online, you know, disgruntled employees and that kind of thing. I think one of the best things that a leader can do is to actually put themselves out there because you can tell your employees about employee advocacy. We'd, we'd like you to go out and here's a tool and here's some training. And, but ultimately, if they're looking up going, well, you're not doing it. Why should I? Welcome to the Internal Marketing Podcast, the unique podcast series that flips the marketing conversation from external to internal, exploring all the ways that companies can build a brand and drive growth by engaging and empowering its employees to become powerful advocates of the company brand. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Stimson, and I'm very happy to bring you this episode where we'll be talking about how to create the kind of culture that makes employee advocacy thrive in your company. But first, this season's sponsor is Workshop, the number one email tool for internal communications. They created an incredible weekly newsletter for marketing and comms professionals called the Happy Monday Club. If you're looking for more practical resources and powerful perspectives about leveraging the power of internal marketing, then this is absolutely the newsletter for you. Every Monday, the workshop team puts together an inspiring list of articles from some of the world's best workplaces, the latest internal comms templates, and the occasional giveaway or surprise. Join over 30,000 comms and marketing professionals and sign up now at happymondayclub.com. Now, let's jump into this conversation with my featured guest, Sarah Goodall. Sarah is the CEO of Tribal Impact, and she'll be sharing about how to create the kind of culture that makes employee advocacy thrive in your company. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for joining me on the Internal Marketing Podcast. It's great to see you again. How are oh, you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. And it's an absolute pleasure to be invited to be on this, Carrie. And I love this podcast, so thank you. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. And I know this is your area, right? The whole concept of internal marketing employee advocacy. And of course, when we're having employee advocacy conversations, who else to include but a great mind like you? And I know we're going to get into what you do and your company later on down in the conversation. But this particular conversation, Sarah, I'm excited about because we're going to be talking about the whole matter of culture and how culture impacts employee advocacy or employee brand advocacy, depending on, on how, you, how you phrase it. Because I find that employee advocacy has been picking up quite a bit of steam. Thankfully, I know you and I have been in this space for quite some time, so we're excited to see the evolution. I actually am just coming from a marketing conference for financial services brands in Toronto a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Employee advocacy was a huge topic. I, I, I was saying to the audience that I find that perhaps depending on the country you're in, it's kind of taking off more than in others. 
but it was the big topic of the conference or certainly one of them. But one of the things that we would have highlighted even at that conference, and you know this already, Sarah, is the whole matter of culture. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this conversation, because employee advocacy, yes, there are steps that a company needs to go through to implement and allow it to thrive and grow. But having the right culture is super, super important for employee advocacy to thrive. But let's start out with a level setting question, Sarah. How would you define culture, a kind of a working definition for this conversation? What's culture and what impacts it? Yeah, I th- that is such a great question. And I mean, if you tap it into Google, you're going to get some Wikipedia definition and all the rest of it. I mean, personally, for me, I have to reflect on companies that I've worked in and where, you know, where I felt connected to the culture and where I haven't. And I think that says a lot about culture. First and foremost, it isn't a handbook. It isn't a guide. It isn't an instruction sheet. It's not a, you can have values, but ultimately for me, culture is a feeling. It's a feeling. And that is made up of uh, belonging. Uh, it's made up of belief systems. It's made up of values. Um, and a culture is, is a, is almost like an, a culmination of all of that, you know, and where, where an employee feels psychologically safe to be their whole self. And I think, you know, for me, that is what culture is. It's a feeling. It's, it's not a, it's not something that can easily be defined. It's, it is that. Indeed, indeed. And I love the fact that you highlighted that it's, it's a space where employee, uh, employees feel psychologically safe mm. to be their, their full selves. And, and I think that's really powerful. I mean, in, in your experience working with the many people that you do and the clients that you work with, uh, what are the things that impact culture as you've been seeing them? Yeah, I think, well, ultimately, it's trust. It's trust. And I think, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about leadership and their role in this. Um, But I think it's trust. It's, you know, I love the Edelman Trust Barometer that comes out every January. And it talks about, you know, who trusts who and governmental trust, media trust, trust in business. Um, Employees trust people like themselves. and it, and ultimately it comes to that and i think that that can that can make a culture uh but it can also break it and it can take years to make it and seconds and moments to break it um but then you really have to live by it it's all very well writing everything up but unless you live by those values and live by those beliefs and if you're a leader if you and am an employee if you're behaving in alignment with those beliefs and values for me, that is, that's how culture is either broken or built. Um, and it's instilling that in everyday actions. Indeed, indeed. And, and the word trust is so very important, right? Because again, going back to your point about a culture creating a space of psychological safety, uh, if, if employees don't feel that there is trust, that they can trust their leaders and leaders by extension don't feel that their team members can trust them as leaders, can trust each other laterally, then you're not going to get the kind of culture that you want to see to bring about the outcomes that you'd like. But you know what, Sarah, 
I feel like there is still a faction of leaders and, and organizations, even small businesses of any size, quite frankly, businesses of any size, where I don't think culture gets the focus that it needs to get. And I think a lot of leaders also are still asking themselves the question, well, why is this even important? So in your view, Sarah, why should leadership even care about culture? Oh, you I mean, that worries me, actually, <laughs> if that is yeah. the case. <laughs> but I know it is the case. Um, I always think it's a little bit like culture is the intersection between, you know, what a company stands for their beliefs and values and an employee and their beliefs and values. And where the two match is where you get engagement, right? It's where you get employee engagement. They feel like they belong because the alignment of values and belief systems. And for me, that, that, that's the important. And when you've got that, you get more, you get more growth from your employee. You get, um, you know, if they go beyond the job, do you know what I mean? They love where they are and they love what they do and they'll do what it takes because they, they're growing, they're learning. Um, and this is why I think leaders need to take this more seriously, because this is, this is the secret source to amazing growth potential. Um, not, and I don't mean revenue growth. I'm, th- I'm meaning people growth, learning growth, development growth, relationship growth. And ultimately, it impacts the experience, the service that you deliver to your customers. And I know, you know, executive teams, that's high on the agenda. And I think there's a realization that they just can't get there unless their own house is in order. And if your employees are engaged in what they do and connected and feel like they belong, then there's more chance that you're going to increase that experience with your external stakeholders as well. But you've got to sort your own house out first. It's not, it's not going to happen out there unless you sorted your own house out first. I completely agree. And, and where else to even have that conversation but on a podcast like this, you know, <laughs> where we can talk about internal marketing and how are we engaging employees in the brand and who we are as a company, uh, but recognizing that the culture in and of itself has to be in order, in order for that engagement, as you say, to take place. And engagement and solid engagement in, leads to increased productivity, uh, great relationships, which ultimately in yours usually to the benefit of the bottom line. You know, at the end of the day, we're not going to discount the fact that we're in business to make money. But ultimately, if we don't have team members who are engaged, who feel safe, who, are, who love the culture that they're a part of, then you're not going to get to the next phase, which again, is part of our ongoing discussion on this podcast, which is employee advocacy. And I know that's one of your areas indeed, but I know there are some listeners, Sarah, I'd never like to assume that everybody understands all the nomenclatures that we use. So employee advocacy is something you and I know very well, but for the benefit of all those listening or watching who don't know what employee advocacy is, would you give us another working definition as well for that as to what employee advocacy is? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I actually believe that this is a bit of a misunderstood term. So a lot of people think employee advocacy is getting your employees to advocate on the brand's behalf. They kind of do that sometimes, but for me, that's a byproduct. Uh, 
for me, employee advocacy really is employee centric. It's not brand centric. If you come at it, I always, I, I think I wrote something about this before, but you turn the pyramid upside down. This is not about getting your employees as a channel to get your message out on social media. I mean, that may happen, but please don't go into it with that in mind. The real employee advocacy, in my view, is when you elevate employee voices. Your brand is made up of amazing employees, skill sets that differentiate you from the competition. It's why your customers love you. It's why other companies, other other employees want to come and work for you. They, they, They wear the culture on their sleeve, right? So elevate employee voices because the sum of their voices becomes the brand voice. Um, and I always think that it's like, turn it on its head. Employees are not a channel. Employee advocacy is not a channel for amplifying corporate messages. That may happen, but that's not the primary goal. The primary goal here is to really elevate your employees out there, help them to be their own brand. And that in itself will create a stronger culture online. I'm sure you stepped on a couple of toes there, Sarah, because there are a lot of companies who are like, what do you mean we're not supposed to focus on leveraging our employees uh, to build our brand, I'm sure. But, you know, you're, you're, I, I love that spin because ultimately, and, you know, it, 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 it's something that I know we talk about on LinkedIn every now and again, that the what's in it for me. When you have employee advocacy, the what's in it for me as it pertains to the company benefit and the employee benefit, they must align for employee advocacy to work. And if employees believe or feel like the companies are just using them as walking, talking billboards for the company message, then you're not going to get that buy-in and you're not going to get that authenticity. So even if you do put it on their performance appraisal, well, you got to do two LinkedIn posts a month, two on TikTok, whatever. Uh, if, if they don't believe that there is a what's in it for them, they don't believe that at the heart of it, the companies are really passionate about their people, the culture is great, there is high trust, and they're just really being used as a microphone for the company's message, then the authenticity is going to be missing. You know, you just won't get the engagement externally that you probably would otherwise like to get because you're not coming from a place of people first. And really engaging and empowering your employees to build their, even their own personal brands, yes, and using their voices in a way that is, again, more authentic and, and, and benefits them also. So, Sarah, we have covered culture and we've delved into what employee advocacy is and is not. And I think now we can kind of bring the two together. So, again, in your experience, how does culture impact employee advocacy? How do you bring the two together? Yeah, that that's a good question. Um, I think for me, it's a little bit like making that connection. Um, it, it is at that gr- a granular level of the culture's values and belief systems and the employee's value and belief systems. And and actually, employees, you're going to have employee experts that are passionate about sustainability. It might not be in their job title. And this is why I say, don't keep getting hung up on, oh, well, we definitely need that executive because that's their topic and they, they need to be the ones representing it. No, you might have another 10 employees across your organization that are truly passionate about specific topics. You need to be elevating those employees and, and equipping them and helping them and supporting them because that ultimately supports your brand, your culture, what you stand for. 
So I think finding those employees to help support the brand story that are living those cultural values naturally already, and they will do because there's a cultural fit, because we already talked about that, you know, personal brand values and beliefs and cultural brand values and beliefs. If you find those, they can help elevate, but authentically. I have seen it before where organizations have said, right, well, you, you and you, you've got biggest networks on LinkedIn. So we want you to own this topic and you to, I'm not kidding, you know, and I'm like, okay, guys, it really doesn't work. It does not work like that. Please don't do that. It, you know, on every single level, don't do that. But, you know, this is where I think culture and advocacy can work together, um, where you bring communities alive and you bring them, but authentically alive through the power of employee voices. So that's, that's what I think. That's what I think is is quite exciting. Uh, yeah. A question I had, Sarah. So we've we've I think we're clear. Obviously, we've shared what culture is, what is employee advocacy, and how culture impacts advocacy. For those leaders who are listening, what do you recommend they do to assess whether or not their culture is the right culture that enables employee advocacy to thrive? I mean. Because sometimes, you know, self-awareness or let's call it company awareness, what I'll just say, self-awareness is is not something that is is as pervasive as it should be, right? So there are a number of leaders who think, oh, well, yeah, I don't have a problem or our culture doesn't have a problem. And then when you try to do employee advocacy and you're, ask, you're opening it up, you're inviting volunteers, you're not getting the kind of an uptake that you thought you would have gotten. And then maybe that could be because you don't have the right culture that empowers it or enables it to thrive. How mm. do or how should leaders assess their culture to determine whether or not there's something that needs to be addressed? Yeah, um, yeah, it's almost like cultural readiness, isn't it? And really understanding is the culture really ready for this? Um, in my experience, there are a few things that you can do. I mean, there's, there's glassdoor.com. Uh, which is a very open fl platform that your future employees will be checking before they decide to maybe take the job offer that your organization's just given to them. It's a very transparent platform where employees say what they think about the company. Um, and it's not, you know, it, you have to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt, but I would be looking on there, right? It's a bit like the TripAdvisor for companies. But closer to home, there are other things. Uh, employee feedback surveys, um, if you're doing those, which I hope you are. Um, but, you know, getting that litmus test back from your employees, what, what is that telling you? What, what is that telling you? Is that, that's a good sort of gauge, if you like, as to whether organizations are ready. Um, and another one is uh, any enterprise social network. So anyone who uses, um, you know, Jive or Workplace or, you know, one of those internal social media networks, that's also a good place to get a bit of an indicator as to whether um, culture is there, you know, how people are, are asking questions. And it's also a great place for employees to get used to this social environment without going out external. Um, you know, it's a great way to introduce social behaviors internally, but also it's a good place to open those conversations internally. So they're transparent internally rather than transparent externally. So, so they're just three ideas of where, where I'd be looking to. So. And what I've also found useful, Sarah, is even some kind of a brand health check internally. So we would ask, 
or employees, you know, are you proud to work for a company relative to the competition? Are you proud to tell people that you work for <clears throat> or you're proud to work with or you're proud to be associated with? Or if you even ask them straight up, do you know what makes us better than the competition? What makes our products or services better or greater than the competition? And you'd be surprised sometimes because those very employees, some of them, they may feel proud. Like I know in our instance, they were proud, but they couldn't really tell you why we were better than the competition. Or there are some of them who said, hey, I'm actually not proud to work for this company. I don't want anybody to know. I work with company ABC. And that's valuable information as well because it speaks to engagement in the company and in the brand and perhaps asked in a way that it wouldn't have been asked in your traditional employee satisfaction and engagement feedback survey. So I think yeah. those are great ways to do that temperature check. Sarah, thank you so much uh, for sharing those. So if it is having done the temperature check then, Sarah, and I recognize that there are problems, right? Or there are challenges with a culture that needs to be addressed so that I can facilitate a thriving employee advocacy program. What are some of the steps that company leadership can take to foster the kind of culture that allows employee advocacy to thrive? So bearing in mind that there could be challenges, what are some of the things, I mean, working again with your clients and colleagues, what are some of the steps that you think a company leadership can take to make sure that the culture challenges are addressed and that employee advocacy can ultimately thrive? Yeah, I honestly believe that one of the biggest things leaders can do is to lead by example uh, and to be vulnerable uh, in a many ways. I think a lot of leaders are very fearful of social media. Um, we often get the objection, I, I just don't have time. And I get that, right? Leaders are busy. Um, but I also think there's a fear factor there. There's a, there's this, there's a vulnerability. You, you, you are accessible. It's transparent. Uh, anybody commenting on your posts is for everyone to see. And there is fear in that, I think. You know, people, did they worry that they're going to get, um, you know, attacked online, you know, disgruntled employees and that kind of thing. I think one of the best things that a leader can do is to actually put themselves out there and to and to show that they're embracing um, this opportunity on on social and to lead by example because you can tell your employees about employee advocacy. We'd we'd like you to go out and here's a tool and here's some training and but ultimately if they're looking up, going well, you're not doing it. Why should I? You know. And I think there's a lot to be said around leading from the front um, and showing that you're not afraid to have a go and you're going to learn and you're taking a growth mindset approach to it. You're going to learn along the way. So I think that's one of the things. Um, th one of the other things I would advise as well is it's not all about you. Okay. As a leader, I love, I love reading about servant leadership. It's a topic that's sort of on my mind at the moment around you are there. Yes. I, I always remember this amazing session that we did actually with um, with Tim uh, and Jeff Abbott from Ivanti. And he always said, I always feel like I have to show up every day and prove to my employees that I, I have earned the right to be in this role. Um, and I just thought, that is, is stuck with me, that has. And I just think your role on social is not all about you. It's about the people you serve. It's about elevating them up. So your strategy, therefore, on social 
yes, you have to share some stuff, but actually it's about engaging with those in your company and and helping shine a light on the great people in the organization. That's your role. Um, and I think for me that that's that's quite special. Um, so yeah, that they're they're just a couple of things that I would say leaders need to to really consider if they want to drive an advocacy type culture internally. And Sarah, could I get perhaps a little bit personal with you? Because I mean, you are a CEO yourself, and um, I know that you're passionate about culture. I mean. Is there anything kind of like a secret sauce approach that you've been using with your own team as putting on your CEO hat now uh, that you find has been working to create an awesome culture that really engages and encourages employees to want to be celebrate and feel good about the fact that they work with a tribal impact? I mean, what, what's your secret sauce as a CEO in creating that awesome culture? Oh, wow. Um... Gosh, that's like trying to unpick it. I, I'm very, I am honest, um, maybe too honest sometimes, but you know, I'm, I'm very transparent about my mess ups. Uh, and I do actually, I had a conversation the other day, someone, someone, one of my team rang up and I've really messed up. And I'm like, you're you're talking to the queen of mess ups here. Nothing is going to phase me. Um, (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So we definitely try to have a bit of a laugh and and I and I encourage mistakes, right? Because I, I and I was talking about this last week actually to a group of female entrepreneurs. You know, if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning and growing. And I think anybody who thinks a leader is just perfect in everything that they do, well, they're lying because you make mistakes all the time. Uh, as long as you're learning from them. And somebody said to me, "How do you know when when it's the right time to trust your gut?" And I said, you know what, on, in all honesty, I think it comes with experience and experience comes with the, the amount of mistakes you make. So if you go through life trying so hard not to make any mistakes, you're just delaying the experience that you're gathering. Um, and I, and I, I think because I'm quite open about all the mistakes I've made and, and sharing what I'm learning from them. And that I don't have any regrets because I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't have made some of those mistakes. It almost makes it okay that everybody else can just try and and be okay with it and I, and I love that because then they're on their own experience journey and so and I think that goes back to psychological safety uh belonging being able to talk openly honestly um you know another one of my team they've got a curved word that when they've got feedback for me it's like it comes from a good place Sarah and I know I've like right got to get prepared for this one um but you know I'd rather hear it I would rather hear it, even if I don't want to hear it. I'd rather hear it. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I'm hearing I'm hearing vulnerable vulnerability in what you're sharing, which is awesome. You know, and I I know as leaders, uh, we've been so trained and it's been drummed into our heads that you know we're 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 the leaders, so we're supposed to be perhaps next to perfect. We don't make mistakes, or if we do, we should kind of sweep them under the rug. We shouldn't be letting anybody know. Uh, but the reality is, is that there are contextual situations where showing our own vulnerability, our own humanity, our own reality, the fact that we do make mistakes, but how do we learn from them? How do we grow from them? How do we own them? You know, and, yeah. and, and, you know, come just, just do better the next time. I think it's, it's an awesome way to demonstrate vulnerability in leadership and again, creates that space as you say, of psychological safety. 
Uh, Sarah, I know you've been working with a number of clients who've been doing very well in the employee advocacy space through their own respective programs and so on. Can you think of perhaps one example of such clients who their culture is just amazing and, and their culture it has really done a wonderful job of setting them up for employee advocacy success? I don't know if you can call a name. If you can't, that's fine. But I think most importantly, we'd love to know what does that culture of that company look like that has really helped them to thrive? And I see you smiling already, so you probably <laughs> can think of that client already. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I have to say, I love all of the customers we work with. I uh, There's, you know, there's not one that I think oh no, you know, that's a bit difficult. We are, we are very fortunate, but I think actually you attract what you emulate, don't you? So you, you, you what you're out there, the people yes, who, indeed. what is it? Your vibe attracts your tribe and, and the other way, your tribe attracts your vibe, you know, so you, you, you find best fit customers in that sense. Um, so all of our customers have amazing people. Uh, and I think that, is the result of their amazing cultures. A couple of that I will think of, um, we love Ericsson. Ericsson, uh, they have oh, yes. a, they have a great team, great experts at the forefront of 5G. Mm. They have really good technical um, people um, that are not afraid to tell their story in an authentic way. I love that. Um, Henkel as well. Henkel is a lovely culture. We very uh they're a german headquartered company with huge focus on high quality solutions we work with the henkel adhesives organization and their people are just amazing but they're taking it one step further kerry ann so it's all all about activating your employees but now they which is the linkedin live i tried to do it earlier but they're now looking at activating their channel partner ecosystem which is just wonderful right because that's an extension of their culture um they're looking at the ecosystem now not just their own organization absolutely brilliant mm. um Another one I could think of, oh, the, the, one of the uh, senior C-suite members of Siena, uh, which is in the telco industry, uh, he, he was amazing. I mean, great storyteller um, and, and leads by example and is not afraid to talk openly about that story and how he's journeyed to where he's at. You know, and I don't think there's just, that's I have to say that is why I love what we do because we get under the skin of organizations we get to talk to the people which is why I say advocacy is not about using your people as a channel but actually elevating the people behind the logo in front of the logo and we get to work with all of those people and I think that just gives us energy um so yes I hope I that's some imagine. good examples there Great. Yes. Yes. Wonderful examples. And I love the point on you made about Henkel, extending it into their channel partners as well. Yeah. So they SAP too are, does this. Are, oh, great. Mm -hmm. so, so you're saying that in those instances, they are part of an advocacy type conversation and program as well. Really? Yeah. And this That's is the wonderful. really smart thing. I mean, SAP does this as well. So we, we work with them to, you know, elevate... A lot of the partners in the partner ecosystem are smaller than the vendor brand. Um, so if you apply the same logic around elevating employees in front of the logo, why would you not as a brand help elevate some of your partners 
um, because they don't have the brand dollars and all the rest of it to do awareness. Help them. Use the power of your brand to help elevate some of your partner ecosystem in front of your logo too. You know, think about getting their partner content into your advocacy tool, into the hands of your employees. How cool is that? Um, you know, and this, this I think is almost next generation advocacy is where, and, and this differentiates you as a vendor because then you are activating, you know, when channel partners, they want to, you're helping them, you're enabling their employees to become experts. Um, and you're giving them a platform for their content to get it out there through your employees. So they're going to lean more to you. You're winning customer loyalty, mindshare, hearts, you know, and, um, it's a great strategy. So there are only a few companies doing it. I, Cisco does it as well. They're just starting to do it. So, yeah, it's cool. Wonderful. I'm, I mean, this is this is exciting stuff when you see where employee advocacy is growing. We probably need to change the, the name yes. from employee advocacy now because it's no longer just employees, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's wonderful because at the heart of it, it's people who are engaged and passionate about the brand and about the organization and the culture who are just empowered and motivated to share. So whether that be your employees or your partners, as, as you mentioned, that's awesome. As long as it's not customers, I think on the, the flip side, I think the, the channel partners definitely can even be construed as internal because they probably would have had to sign the NDA. <laughs> yeah. So they know what's going on underneath the rug inside of the organization as well in as much as they're not employees. So they're still construed as internal in my view, uh, not employees, but still definitely internal. And it's a great way to engage. Just wonderful. I love to hear that. Sarah, we have been having such a great conversation and I know that we've discussed so much and you've shared so much and we've come to what I call the, well, it's really the penultimate question in my conversations, but I call it the final takeaway or the final nugget or the final gem, depending on what generation you are. Uh, but I'd love to know, Sarah, from your perspective, given everything you would have shared, what would you say is the main takeaway you would love our audience to come away with having heard everything you would have shared? Um, I would think for me, it takes a, anybody who's leading a program like this, it takes a lot of resilience, right? So you are not in a position to change culture generally, unless that is your job. But most of the time for people that are trying to drive programs like this, that's not their job. But don't think you can't change something. Uh, and, and change comes in small waves. I, I always liken this to, you know, just chip away at it. And, and your, your job is to bring the culture to life, to find the stories, to elevate the employees, to, to gain momentum. Um, you're not here to change the entire culture of the organization, but to shine a light on those that emulate it the best and, or, or the most. Um, so I would say, don't look at it as a big thing. It's like, oh, no, we're never going to be able to do this. But look at it as a gradual change management. I always remember this. Anybody that we work with is start small and it will gain momentum and it gains sort of, you know, uh, it's like a wave that just gains power as it goes. And uh, I just, I, I think that would be my thing. Otherwise, it's just too overwhelming. And then you think, oh, I can't do this. Um, nah, just start small and just take baby steps. So. 
Won't argue with that. Start small, take baby steps, and you'll get there. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'd love to know as my final question, how can we, the internal marketing tribe, support you? Oh, I I mean, I love this podcast, Karen. You have some amazing guests on here and it's totally like up my street. The the kind of topics that you cover. Uh, I'm all up for learning. And I if anyone would like to share their story, their approach, I'm up for listening because I, I I just love hearing other experiences and stories. So it would be great if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, it's Sarah Goodall. If you tap it in, you can find me. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to hear people's experiences, comments, feedback, stories, anything. Absolutely. And yes, folks, I do recommend that you reach out to Sarah. She always shares some wonderful content. Tribal Impact does great live streams on LinkedIn. And, you know, you, you're definitely going to learn something new. If you follow Sarah and her Tribal Impact team and participate in their lives and uh, just follow their her content. It's been wonderful just being a part of your journey, Sarah. And thank you so much for your kind words and for your support of this podcast. I'm so very honored to be able to connect with people all over the world like you. I mean, we are we are many time zones apart, <laughs> but we make it happen. And it's just been wonderful. Uh, connecting with you, Sarah. So thank you so very much for your time, your generosity of sharing your expertise, your experience, and even your vulnerability in this very wonderful conversation about culture and employee advocacy. It's been wonderful. And you have a great rest of the day, Sarah. All the best to you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Internal Marketing Podcast. I hope you got some great takeaways from this conversation. And if you haven't already subscribed to the Internal Marketing Podcast, then please join the tribe. And don't forget to leave a review and share this podcast with anyone whom you believe will find it valuable as well. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Stimson, and I look forward to your joining me next time.